0: Today, we are going to continue to examine God's faithfulness as he fulfills his... I'm cutting it out. What's going on? We got an issue? I replaced the batteries this morning. It's not the batteries. Maybe it's because I replaced the batteries this morning. Maybe that was it. So, I don't know what's going on. It, it, yeah, I know. If anybody else was wearing it, it would work just fine. Anytime somebody else preaches, no issues. I preach, boom. So, oh, well. We'll just keep going, and then you can do your thing, Gage, whatever. Uh, you got to do, do you want to bring me a handheld just in case? Okay. Because now there's an echo-ish thing happening. Thank you, Gage. Gage, everybody. and you Yeah, I don't get applause. Whatever. So we're going to continue walking through. I'll just leave that there just in case I need it. God continues to show his faithfulness to his promises. He's made these promises to Abraham about Isaac, the child of the promise, and we've We've walked through this tension that exists, that God has made this promise, and then it's decades later before it comes to fulfillment. So can you imagine the frustration, uh, the lack of patience uh, that Abraham and Sarah are having to deal with to the point where, you know, they go off and do this stupid thing with Hagar and Ishmael, and they've got all these issues as well, and all this tension exists because... God has made a promise, but has yet to deliver. And then, finally, God delivers. Twenty-five years later, Isaac is born, and they name him laughter, so they can remember the, the ridiculousness of God's faithfulness to His promises. And now, Genesis 22, one of the best passages in all of the Bible where Abraham's faith is tested, and we see a shadow of Christ appear. This is the best part of reading the Old Testament, isn't it? When you read a text and you go, oh, that's Jesus. Look at that. He's right there. We're going to see that here as well with even some very real things that are happening in the text that point to him. Again, God's made this promise. Isaac is born. At this point in Genesis 22, Isaac is 25 years old. We have a picture of him being a young child or a teenager when this happens. He's not. He's 25, old enough to punch dad in the face and run away. Keep that in mind. Uh, They have lived for a time in the land of the Philistines. Now they've returned to Canaan, the, the land of the promise, chapter 22, verse 1. Now it happened after these things that God tested Abraham. Now we know that. Abraham does not know that. We know that it's a test. He does not know that it is a test. And said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And then he said, take now your son, your only one, whom you love, Isaac, and go forth to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Can you imagine 25 years waiting for a promise, and now he says, kill the promise? Unreal. Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to his young men, "'Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there, "'and we will worship, and we will return to you.' Then Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and put it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, "'My father,' he said, "'Here I am, my son,' and he said, "'Behold the fire and the wood, "'but where is the lamb for the burnt offering?' And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and put him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of Yahweh called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham... And he said, here I am. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the boy and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you've not withheld your son, your only one, from me. Then Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there was a ram after it had been caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place, Yahweh Will Provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of Yahweh, it will be provided. And the angel of Yahweh called Abraham a second time from heaven and said, "'By myself I have sworn,' declares Yahweh, "'because you have done this thing and have not spared your son, your only one. Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of his enemies.'" In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have listened to my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and walked together to Beersheba and Abraham lived at Beersheba. What a great, great story. So let's ask some questions of the text as we do. What does God ask him to do? sacrifice his son which is interesting god never commands human sacrifice hasn't yet and then condemns it in the law but here again we're told it's a test go offer your son in the in the land of moriah that'll be important we'll come back to that in a minute the purpose of his command is to test and when does abraham act on God's command early the next morning probably because he didn't sleep early the next morning did you notice throughout the text the emphasis on Abraham's obedience all the details early the next morning he saddles the donkey he cuts the wood he puts it on his back they carry it together three days to get there that's an awful three days misery of continuing to process. And we're gonna look at Hebrews 11 here in a little bit and we get a glimpse into what's happening in Abraham's mind over the course of that three-day journey. Uh, So Isaac and the the servants travel with him. As they arrive at Moriah, what does Abraham tell the servants? Stay there and then what? Who's gonna return? We That's interesting, isn't it? God has said, go kill your son. We're going to go and worship, and then we're going to come back. Is that a word of hope? Is that trust? We don't know. But he's, he's got this in his head. We are going to come back from this moment. So they take the fire. They take the knife. Uh, Which, you know, the things that ironically are a danger to Isaac, the fire and the knife, Abraham keeps, and he carries that himself so his son won't get hurt. And the wood for the sacrifice is placed on Isaac's own back. He carries that wood. And they get there, and what does Isaac notice is missing? (laughs) (laughs) We're going to kill something. What are we going to kill? Humorous moment, probably not for them. Uh, but for us wait wait a minute where where's the lamb for the sacrifice and how does how does abraham express his faith in god's promise in response to isaac what does he say god will provide god himself will provide the lamb for the sacrifice at what point does god intervene in the act of sacrificing isaac last possible second knife is in the air i mean wh- no no wiggle room here this is the last second and god calls out and he stops him uh what does god provide as a replacement the lamb yeah bob yeah a ram not the rams a ram uh, and it's caught in the thicket. It's there. He uses that, and Abraham names the place of the sacrifice. What does he, what does he title this place now? Uh, will Yahweh will provide. Jehovah Jireh. Uh, so if you've ever looked into the different names of God, that's that one. The Lord will provide. As it's said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Hold on to that. We'll come back to that in a minute. What phrase is used, repeated three times? Verse 2, verse 12, verse 16. Your only one. Take your son, your only one. So your New Testament ears should be perking up at this point, shouldn't they? Your son, your only son. We know that title, don't we? The only begotten son of God. We recognize that. There is an only son. So again, there, there are these whispers, there are these shadows So, again, pay attention to the language as you read through. If you had to sum up the main point, Genesis 22, 1 to 19, what would you say it was? It's a test. It's a shadow. What else? Substitution. Okay. Yep. Huh? Faith? Yeah. There's a reason Abraham's called the father of faith. God will provide... Yeah, yeah. Obedience. Yeah, all of that's good. Yeah, I'm not looking for like one definitive answer. All those are true. Yeah, Uh, that's absolutely the case Uh, because you you have all these various angles to look at the text that are all uh, wonderful. So Abraham demonstrates his faith in God by his obedience, even by his words. We'll go worship, we'll come back. And after it's over... God reaffirms the covenant. Yeah, because you've done this, I, I, now we're going to keep going. I made these promises a long time ago, but now we're going to keep going. And, and this is certainly a, a help for Abraham that, hey, remember when I pro- promised this line of people, standing on the seashore, stars in the sky? We're, we're going to do that uh, and, and because I've promised that we're going to do that. Turn over to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, the the hall of faith, this great testimony of all these believers throughout Old Testament history who walked by faith in God and by faith did all these great things. Abraham has talked about a lot in Hebrews 11. He gets a lot of verses and rightly so. Hebrews 11, we'll go to verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was offering up his only son, to whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which figuratively speaking... He also received him back. So, this is an act of faith by Abraham, setting the standard for all to come after who walk by faith, who are saved by grace through faith. He, he does what the Lord says, even his only son. Verse 19, he considered. The word consider means to argue with yourself. So, what is Abraham doing for the three day walk to Moriah? He's arguing with himself. He's wrestling in his own head, what is God doing? What is God up to? You do this, don't you? You do this when you go through a time of suffering, when when you get blindsided by something that happens in your life or something doesn't go as you've planned, you experience some sort of loss. This This is what we do. What is God up to? He's doing, I believe Romans 8, 28, he works all things for the good of those who love him, called according to his purpose. He's close to the brokenhearted. He comforts us in our time of weakness and that overflows, we comfort others. Like I know that God is doing something with this. What what is he doing and where does he land? God can raise the dead. If God can bring life out of a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman... He can raise the dead. He obviously has power over life and death. So, if I go through with this and I plunge that knife into his chest, God can raise the dead. God will raise the dead. Why? He has to. Because he made this promise. And if this son dies and stays dead, God's a liar. So, he has to raise the dead. So this is his hope as he wrestles himself into it. Sometimes hope doesn't come naturally. We have to argue ourselves into it. We have to remind ourselves of what we know to be true, preaching the gospel to ourselves, which is why we regularly engage with the Bible. All right, this is true. We come back to this is the standard. This is what we know. God can do this. And verse 19, figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead because Isaac was as good as dead. Because Abraham is obedient, so he's as good as dead. It's going to happen. He's going to plunge the knife into his son's chest. He will. And then God won't allow him. So a, a wonderful, helpful take on, hey, this is, there's more to this story. Here's what's going on behind the scenes. It, it's so wonderful when the New Testament looks back on the old and helps fill in some of the gaps, and lets us know what's happening. Or when it uh, quotes the Old Testament, which is a fascinating field of study, uh, when the New Testament authors quote the Old Testament, because typically they quote it in a way that we don't expect, uh, in a way that when we read the text, like, I never would have thought that that was what was going on in that Old Testament text. But the New Testament authors slide it in there and say, here's what this is really, meaning this is what's really going on behind the scenes, so helpful when he does that. So Abraham has such solid faith. God will keep his promises. Therefore, I will obey whatever he tells me to do, no matter the consequences, because God has made promises. So let's talk about that for just a minute. Um, And I want us to, and you're going to spend some time looking at this as well in your homework, and you're going to walk through uh, all of this, and again, the, the whole point of just this whole season of, of lessons in Genesis is notice how God continues to be faithful, no matter what. He's faithful. He's made promises. He will fulfill them. But I, I want to zero in for the next few minutes on this shadow, this whisper of Jesus. Um, when you're looking for it, it's certainly there, right? Take your son, your only son. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we get that. Um, it will be provided. There's a lamb that they're speaking of, a, a lamb for sacrifice. Oh, God, God will provide that. Okay. Yeah, that's starting to you know, John the Baptist called Jesus, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Like, okay, there, there's something here. There's something going on here. So a couple thousand years later from Abraham, there's a son, an only son. Who's walking to a cross. And what is he carrying on his back? The wood for his sacrifice. And he gets to the place of death. And there's no voice that cries out from heaven to stop it. There's no ram caught in the thicket. This son dies. He is crushed. Isaiah 53 tells us by the pleasure of his father, to crush him. So we look at this story in Genesis 22 and go, oh, wow, this is great. God is so loving and kind. But his own only son, he doesn't stop. Why? Because not only is his son being sacrificed, his son is the sacrifice. He cannot stop it. If God the Father cries out to stop the hands of those crucifying the Lord Jesus, there is no salvation. He has to have his own son, his only son, be killed. And even more than that, that son can't stay dead, can he? Because God has made promises. And if that son stays dead... God is a liar. He has to raise the dead. So the resurrection of Jesus was a foregone conclusion. He wasn't just as good as dead, he was dead. And then God raised him because God had made promises to save his people all the way from the very beginning. In the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3.15, one will come from the line of the woman. He will crush the head of the serpent. He will undo all the sin damage that has been done by the serpent. Genesis 12, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through your line. Well, that can't happen if there's a dead line. There has to be life. A promise that's reiterated in Genesis 22, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. A promise that we look at today in the sermon. The gospel will go to the nations. It will go to the world. Culminating in Revelation 7, who's gathered around the throne? Worshipers from every nation, people, tribe, and tongue. Because the promises God made have to come true, where he's a liar. Man, isn't this our hope? Isn't this the promises that we stand on? This is the foundation of everything. Here's the cool part. It gets so much better. And some of you know this. We've talked about it before. But this is the part where you... You you look at places like Genesis 22 and you piece some things together and you go, whoa, look at that. So where is it that God tells Abraham to go to sacrifice Isaac? Moriah, go to Mount Moriah. You know a whole lot about Mount Moriah. You just don't know it by that name. It's a very famous name. It's a very famous place. And a couple other things happened there uh, over the course of the Old Testament. Do you remember when King David is reigning over Israel and he sins grievously by taking a census, which you think is the weirdest thing? Like, well, he's just taking a census. He's counting his fighting men. It's not that big of a deal. But what's really going on is a lack of trust in God to provide victory. And he's relying on his military strength and... And God punishes that by breaking out a plague against Israel. And it is is on Mount Moriah where the Lord shows up and speaks to David and stops the plague. The punishment for your sin is now over, declared on Mount Moriah. And then it's even more. So that happens in 1 Chronicles 21. 21 which there's a lot of hidden gems in First and Second Chronicles. You should read those more than you do. In 2 Chronicles chapter 3, we're told that David's son Solomon builds the temple on Mount Moriah. You know a lot about Mount Moriah. You just don't know it by that name. You know it by the name Jerusalem. So you know in the Bible when it says people went up to Jerusalem or they went down from Jerusalem they're not saying they went north and south. It's because Jerusalem is built on top of a mountain, Mount Moriah, to be exact. So when you go up to Jerusalem, you're literally going up to Jerusalem. When it says that Abraham went down to Egypt, it's not because he went south. He literally went down to Egypt because it's built on top of a mountain. And there on Mount Moriah, on the same mountain, Mountain, the one and only Son of God walks to the place of sacrifice, and on the mountain of the Lord, the sacrifice is provided. It's the same mountain. Don't ignore your Old Testament. It is so rich and deep. And isn't it fun that God does stuff like that? Sacrifice your son on the mountain of the Lord will be provided all the while knowing, it's almost as if God is giggling in heaven going, watch what I'm gonna do. 2,000 years later, we're gonna, same mountain the Lord Jesus is gonna walk and go to the place of sacrifice and there he will be provided and the announcement that the penalty for your sins is gone happens on the same mountain. This is how gracious God is. Notice his power, his sovereignty over all things to ensure that all of this happens throughout biblical history to ensure that that when Jesus steps into the city of Jerusalem for the final time, he walks up Mount Moriah, the same mountain that Abraham and Isaac had walked up. Man, I love this kind of stuff. This is just good stuff. So, I'm going to leave you with that, that on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided, yes and amen, it will be, and he was. The sacrifice that removes the penalty for our sin is provided by the Lord Jesus himself, the one and only son of God, who is killed, but God can't leave him dead and raises him from the grave, and now all who place their trust in him are saved from the penalty of their disobedience. And now, walk faithfully with the Lord for all eternity. What graciousness that God has for his people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time together. Thank you for the hope held out in the gospel. Thank you that you are a God who is faithful to his promises. You make promises, and hundreds of years later, you fulfill them. And what you began in the Garden of Eden... In Genesis 3, what you had already declared was true before the foundation of the world, you brought to complete and total fulfillment in and through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are the glad recipients of your great and precious promises, as Peter writes, and that's our hope. We stand upon those promises because you are forever faithful. And because of that, we know this is as good as done because you have made promises and you are not a liar. So thank you for you being you and inviting us to trust in you because you are trustworthy. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Oh, one, two, three, go team.